Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 again. As we looked at last week, we will continue in that passage this week. I do want to remind you that tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll be uh, doing something a little different in here, in that we're going to have kind of a uh, uh, panel discussion of some contemporary and cultural issues. Your pastors will be on the panel and discussing those. It'll be a little different than a normal sermon type thing. Uh, but we're going to talk about tonight uh, everything from from the news to uh, fake news to social media and, and things of that nature. Next week we'll deal with a little more controversial issue perhaps, uh, and that is all the gender discussion and everything today. But tonight we want to lay a foundation by talking about that and religious freedom and some things along that line. So I hope you'll be back. I think it'll be good. I think it'll be helpful. Uh, it'll be helpful for us, I think, to sit here and talk about it and discuss it with you. You'll have a chance to ask some questions uh, and uh, if you have them, and we'll just have a great time of, of panel discussion, thinking through some of the issues uh, together tonight. So be back. Now take your Bible and, and look with me to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. We started this series last week. This series will go on uh, for a long time. I can assure you that. It's a, gr it's a book that has such depth that you can never mine all the truths that are there. You you can preach through it and then come back later and preach through it again and, and see things and deal with things that you didn't before. So it's a, it's, it's a rich book. It, as I said last week, it's, it's Paul's greatest expression of the gospel. It's his greatest uh, just laying out the gospel and what it is. And I want us to take that carefully and I want us to look at it together over the next months and years. So Paul writes this, beginning this epistle. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Christ Jesus our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith to, to the, for the sake of his name among all the nations, including, including you, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we love your gospel. It opens a window into the prison of this world, letting in a shaft of your diffusing heavenly light. We look up. The light falls upon our face. It fills us with hope and joy. Our, our chains of slavery fall off. and We rise and go forth and follow you. Lord, your gospel is old. You have given us something real and solid in the midst of our paper-thin, anti-historical pop culture. You have given us roots that go down deeper than last week's number one hit. Your gospel was here long before we were. 
and it will endure long after we are gone. Your ancient and holy gospel is something for us to submit to, not to play with. Against the bias of this present evil age, which emboldens our subjectivity, which calls us to a me-first attitude. Lord, quicken us, O Lord. Quicken us with a vivid sense of the historicity and the objectivity of truth, your truth to which our consciences must surrender or go deservedly to hell. You, O Lord Christ, are the great theme of the gospel. You are King. You are Messiah. You burst forth from the grave to receive the name that is above every name. You ascend to glorious sovereignty at the Father's right hand. You rule and reign from heaven, omnipotent to save and and, and that puts you, living Christ, at the center of the gospel message and at the center of all history. Oh, Lord Jesus, we own you as our sovereign. We lay our lives at your feet. Be exalted in our lives. Be exalted in our hearts right now. And bring us by your merits into your everlasting kingdom where we yearn to be. It's in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul, in these first seven verses, is giving us the introduction, if you will, to everything that's going to follow. He's going to deal with the depths of justification by faith. He's going to deal with the depths of sin and depravity. He's going to deal with the depths of sanctification and how we are made Christ-like in our daily walk. He's going to deal with how we come to Christ through, his, through God's grace and grace alone. He's going to deal with, with how he's coming again to, to, to consum, bring consummation to everything that there is. He, he's going to deal then with the practical application of all that and how you live out this justification, this sanctification, this glorification, this, this anticipation of his coming again. Paul is going to expound that to the highest and the most beautiful levels that you've ever seen. And all in the midst of that, Paul is going to stay true to exactly what he says in verses 1 through 7. Because in 1 through 7, he's laying out for us the outline, the, the thrust, the, the essence, if you will, of what the gospel is. And he wants us to comprehend this. He wants us to see this. He wants us to understand this from the very outset. Because you can, you can delineate and talk about justification all day long. You can delineate and talk about God's sovereignty and predestination and every other doctrine that's in the Scripture all day long. But if it's not burning into your heart and burning into your soul, if it's not making you changed into newness of life through Jesus Christ, then it is of no value. And Paul says, I want you to know this is of great value. Value that will last not just now, not just for a while, but value that will last for all of eternity. And what Paul is doing here is he's laying out for us 
what Jesus was talking about in, in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1 that Pastor Todd read just a little earlier that we call the Great Commission, that we call the, uh, you know, the, the sending of the, of the church into the world, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things, everything, the gospel that I have taught you, and I'm with you always in my authority and in my life. Jesus said, I want you to know there is a commission upon your life if you have believed the gospel. Uh, Paul talks about it in verse 1, uh, verse one and verse uh, 6 here as being a call upon our lives and upon his life because of that gospel. He's just laying out what Jesus was talking about so that we can see it in our lives in the present as we see the gospel in all of its fullness and all of his grace. You see there in verse 1, he says, I, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. He will lay out to the Galatians and to the Corinthians and to other letters, that, and you're, you're studying Galatians in Sunday school right now, he will lay out the fact that this gospel is not my gospel. This is not something that I made up. It's not something that Peter gave to me. It's not something that James gave to me. This gospel is something that I have been called to by the living God. It's a gospel that predates Peter, James, John, me, everybody. It is a gospel that comes from old. But it's a true gospel. It's God's gospel. And he says, I was called by Christ to be a slave, to be a servant. And then down in verse 6, at the end of that verse, he says, and and I'm talking about this, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So this is not just for me as an apostle. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for those who might find some high ranking in the church. This is for every single believer, every single disciple who is called to belong to Jesus Christ. It's it's not a matter of you you signed up and said, I think I'll do this for a while. It's a matter that the Holy Spirit of God, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the plan of the Father, has called you to this discipleship. He's done a work in your life if you're a believer that is beyond just signing up and joining a church. Paul says it's called. It's called. Jesus said, I sinned. And there in, in, in Acts chapter 1 that ta- Pastor Todd read, he said, I want you to know that, that I, I'm going to come upon you by my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And you're going to go forth and proclaim this gospel that Paul is going to outline for us very clearly over the next months. He said, listen. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. Every time in the book of Acts, when it talks about being filled with the spirit, it's immediately followed with something like, and they were filled with the spirit, and they boldly proclaimed the gospel. They were filled with the spirit, not for some kind of spiritual jolly or some kind of, you know, excited feeling where they go, whoo, that was fun. It, It wasn't that at all. They were filled with the spirit so that they would proclaim the gospel. And if you're filled with the spirit in 2017, it's not just so you can sing louder and be happier and, and everything go your way. You're filled with the spirit that you might proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in Somerset and beyond. Around the world, 
in Canada, in Columbus, as we go there to share the gospel and, and, and do mission work in Somerset, as we go to Hope Way and Colonial Village and other places, but also in your neighborhood where you just build relationships with neighbors so that you can have a venue, have, a, have an opening, have a bridge to share this gospel message and to speak it boldly. Paul said, I want you to understand several things about the gospel. Because I don't want you to get confused as you go out and tell it. I don't want you to be confronted by things that would, would challenge you and you might feel like, oh, may, ooh, maybe they're right. I want you to know where it comes from and I want you to know what it is, Paul says. There's six things he says about the gospel here that are important for you and me to understand. First of all, he says, I want you to understand what the origin of the gospel is. The origin of the gospel is God. He said, I was set apart as an apostle, called by Jesus Christ, and set apart for the gospel of God. It's not the gospel of the church. It's not the gospel of Peter. It's not the gospel of John or James or Paul or anybody else. This is the gospel of God. Its origin is in Him. I quoted Dr. Leon Morris last week briefly and and I'll do that again this week because I quoted half his quote. I said last week that, that Leon Moore said, God is the most important word in this epistle, in the whole book of Romans. And you'll see it over and over and over again. I think I counted nine times last Sunday as I read through it again, nine times that Paul uses either God or a pronoun for God, referring to God, because he is the subject. God is the most important word in all the epistles. Morris went on to say, Romans is a book about God. No topic is treated with anything like the frequency of God in this book. I mean, the, the Trinitarian nature of God is there. The glory of the Trinitarian nature of God is there. The, the beauty of God's character is there. But the, the subject matter is him. It's not about Paul and him wanting to teach and him wanting to preach and him wanting to do things. It's about God. Because you see, Paul can't change your life. Paul can't change my life. Paul can't lead you into the obedience that, that is required in salvation. Only God can. By the power of his Holy Spirit, through the work of Christ in your life. Otherwise, we just live like the culture, doing my own thing, wanting what I want. I was going to be really clever this morning and, and talk about our complacency. And I was going to, somebody shared this with me the other week on Wednesday night, how you, uh, if you hit Siri and, and ask Siri on your phone, what is complacency? It gives you a great answer. And I did it several times this week, and it did it perfectly. I was going to play Siri for you. And I went out during one of the hymns because I wanted to be sure it would do it, and it didn't do it. <laughs> but basically, the, the definition it gave was complacency is just a, an elevated self-evaluation of my own worth and my own accomplishments. I've arrived where I need to be. And some of us get complacent in our Christianity because we think, you know, I, I prayed a prayer. Where in Scripture it says pray a prayer, but I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle, went through baptism. All of those things that, that are, are in, in one sense or another. Praying is good. Uh, uniting with the local church is good. Being baptized is good. It's an obedience to Christ in Acts 28. But none of those things are, 
are requisite for salvation, and none of those things are self-accomplishments whereby we somehow earn favor with God. Paul said, I want you to understand, there is no room for complacency in the Christian gospel. And so in this passage, he starts out by saying, the origin of the gospel is God. This is the gospel of God, the gospel from God, the gospel through God, the gospel for God. This is the gospel of God. In other words, he's he's stretching the gospel back to before creation ever began. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, we talked a little bit about meta-narrative, what meta-narrative is. And meta-narrative is just the big picture of of Scripture, or the big picture of whatever you're talking about. You can talk about the meta-narrative of of U.S. history if you want to. But but the meta-narrative we're concerned about is the meta-narrative of the gospel and the meta-narrative of Scripture. And it doesn't begin in the New Testament and end there. It doesn't begin even with creation and end there. It goes back to eternity past and goes into eternity future. And in the gospel, that Paul is going to unfold for us, he's going to talk about eternity, past, future, and everything in between to give us the big picture of what the gospel is really all about. So it's the gospel of God. Second thing he talks about is how it was confirmed. He said, this gospel of God, which has been promised beforehand through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. The confirmation or the attestation of the gospel is Scripture. Although God revealed the gospel to the apostles and through the apostles, it did not come to them as some kind of complete novelty because he had already promised it through his prophets in the Old Testament Scripture. There is, in fact, an essential continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's an essential continuity in the gospel that goes all the way back to creation and even beyond that. I love the other night in our, in our secret church session that we had David Platt talking about the authority of Scripture, and he started talking about the most controversial verse in the Bible. And, you know, if you start letting that run through your mind a little bit, you might think, well, well surely it's one about social issues, surely it's one about marriage, surely it's one about, about uh, you know, different type relationships and all these things. Surely those are the most controversial in our day. And Platt said, no, the most controversial book in, uh, verse in all the Bible is the first verse in all the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Heavens and the earth. It's the most controversial verse. All the other things flow out of that because, you see, if indeed God did create everything, It is him that is the authority. It is him to which we owe allegiance. It's him to which we owe obedience. If in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them, all all these other verses become so much less controversial because after all, this is his place. He's the one that's in charge. He's the one that rules. And, and, and so Paul says, I want you to it's the gospel of God. It was promised by him, and it was prophet, promised through the apostles, I mean, excuse me, through the prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. He, he attested to it. He verified it. He confirmed it through the Old Testament prophecies. And we could spend hours and hours in sermon after sermon Just laying out those prophecies. Get yourself a good study Bible and go look them up yourself. The prophecies, 
everything from the, the birth of Christ to the death and resurrection of Christ that stretches throughout the whole of the, of the, the Bible. The, the Old Testament prophets spoke of it, pro- prophesied of it, and it came true in Christ. It, it's been attested by those great truths. So its origin is God, its confirmation is the Scriptures, and its substance, the substance of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. The substance of the gospel is concerning His Son. The second person of the Godhead. Second person of the Trinity. It's the gospel of God, promised beforehand by the prophets in the Scriptures, attested by the Scriptures, but it's concerning Jesus. The one born of a virgin. The one who lived a sinless life. The one who walked on the face of the earth, and yes, he taught, and yes, he did miracles, and yes, he did all these things that people observed and saw and and, and understood this man was special, but the most miraculous thing he did was going to the cross and giving his life to die in our place and then being brought forth from the dead three days later by the power of God in resurrection glory and resurrection power. That's what he says. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Look at the genealogies. As a man, as a human being, as the God-man, the man side of it, he is a descendant of David. Royal blood in the nation of Israel. A rightful heir to the throne of David as a human. And he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. Could have easily said according to the Holy Spirit. According to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead. Who is this one? His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom we've received grace. and He received apostleship. But you and I have received grace. If we are indeed in Christ. Grace that comes from the very essence, the very substance of the gospel. You do not have a gospel without Jesus Christ. You do not have a gospel without the perfect God-man. You do not have a gospel without Him giving His life in our place. That is the substance and the center of the gospel message. So it's of God confirmed by the scriptures about His Son, Jesus, about Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then there's the scope. I'm going to do it a little out of order here because I like the order that New American Standard puts it in better than the ESV, although I'm reading out of the ESV. The scope of the gospel is all the nations. All the nations. The scope is worldwide. When Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, he said, listen, I'm going to come and I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my testifiers. You're going to be like a witness on the stand telling the truth about what took place. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the 
world because this gospel is not just for the Jews. No matter how much they thought it was. This gospel is for the nations around the world. It's for Somerset, and it's for Kentucky, and it's for the United States. But folks, don't ever dream that somehow we are a new Israel settling a new kingdom of God here in America. That is a lot of junk. It's for the world. It's for Iran. It's for Syria. It's for Russia. It's for Mexico and South America and, and around every place you can name, every place you can think of, this gospel is intended to go because John said in the book of Revelation that out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, I'm going to call a people. And they will be my people. And they will bear my name. It's for the nations. It's not for us to sit on and say, well, I've been saved, that's it. That's complacency. It's not for us to say, well, I've I've been given life in Christ and I'm going to just be happy until I die and then I'll just go to heaven. That's not it. If that's the case, then we ought to start praying that God would just go ahead and take us to heaven right now. Because we lose, we not only lose our usefulness if we become complacent in that, but we become a hindrance to the gospel. It's for the nations. And, and the purpose of the gospel, we, we've seen its, its origin, its confirmation, its substance, its, its goal or its scope. The purpose of the gospel is the obedience of faith. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith. Now, I touched on that just briefly last week, I want, but I want to I clarify that again this week. Don't you understand? So often we get caught up in the fact that we are justified by faith alone. And there is absolute truth in that. You won't be justified by going to church. You won't be justified by giving alms. You won't be justified by, by going and working a lot of extra hours at God's food pantry or over my head or, or aim or anywhere else. You, you won't be justified by doing good things. You're only justified by faith in Jesus Christ, period. Paul wants to be sure we understand that just as James said, and some people want to pit James against Paul, and there is no pitting there. There is no opposition there. Uh, Some want to say, well, James says faith without works is dead, and Paul says we're justified by faith alone. That's exact. Both are exactly right. Faith without works is dead faith. It's not real faith because once real faith in Christ is received, once real faith as a gift from God is given and complacency is destroyed, then that leads to an obedience of our Lord. You see, Paul says, I'm a slave of Christ Jesus, and you're a slave. If you're in Christ, you're a slave of Christ Jesus, and you don't have the option of saying, well, Lord, uh, here's a few things I'd like to do, and here's a few things I wouldn't like to do, and I just want to do that, and, and, and Lord, please don't ask me to do this. And Jesus said, I don't ask you to do anything. I tell you what you do. And the gospel leads to an obedience of faith. It leads to action. As one person said one time, we are justified by faith alone, but faith is never alone. 
it always issues forth in deeds of grace to other people. So it's purpose. The purpose of the gospel is to bring about the obedience of faith in your life so that you can share it with other people, the gospel... And they can come to the obedience of faith. And then there's the final question here. The final word of the apostle here. When he says what the goal of the gospel is. It's right there between obedience of faith and among the nations in the ESV. He says, for the sake of his name. You put glory there. For the glory of his name. For the glory of the name of God, for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, for an exalting of that name among all the peoples of the earth, that they might see who he is. So so Paul makes it clear. The gospel is of God about Christ, according to the scriptures, for the nations, unto the obedience of faith, and for God's glory. You don't have to write that down. It's in your faith talk. It's one of the things to discuss. But it's of God, about Christ, according to the Scriptures, for the nations, under the obedience of faith, and for for God's glory. And that's what we're called to. And it's, it's the story of Christ living and dying and raising again. And, and Paul is going to now take us on a journey that's going to tell us all the implications of what that means and what that's all about. The gospel is a word that means good news. It means good news. Good news that, that, that we who were living in sin and rebellion, we who were suffering from the fall of Adam and suffering with the, the, the results of original sin, Adam's sin, inheriting that, and because of that sinning, because of our inherent nature, we are sinners, that, that the only good news you can have is that God has provided that you might be redeemed from that and set free from that and, and forgiven for that and made into a new creature. That's why the gospel's good news. There's no good news in work salvation. There's no good news in try as hard as you can, be as good as you can, and maybe one day you'll make it. Every other religion in the world is like that, you know. You go to Islam or anything else. It's you try your very best to obey as best you can. And if you reach the right point, maybe you'll make it. The gospel says, in your own strength, in your own righteousness, in your own goodness, here's the bad news. You can't make it. Sorry. But here's the good news. Christ has accomplished it. For you, for all who believe, for all who put their trust and faith in Christ, for all who by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, he's done it. And we are the recipients of that grace and that glory and that forgiveness and that righteousness and everything that comes with it. So the big questions are simple about the gospel. You know, who made us and to whom are we accountable? 
The scripture is quite clear on that. God made us. God created us. We're not a cosmic accident of some sort. And because of that creation, we are accountable to him. And one day we'll stand before him. And one day we'll be judged by him. Those who are in Christ will be declared righteous. Those who are outside of Christ, no matter how good they've been, no matter how hard they've tried, will not be. So he made us. We're accountable to him. What's our problem? Paul says our problem is is sin. Our problem is our sin against him. Even sins that we don't know we've got. Sins of depending on self. Trusting in self. Believing I'm okay. I'm good enough. I don't need him. I don't have to obey him. Problems are sin against him. So what's his solution? His solution is salvation through Jesus Christ alone. By grace. Through faith. In Christ alone. And how can I be included in that solution? We, we, we come to be included in that by a relationship with Him. Him who died, He who died 2,000 years ago, but who rose to newness of life through the spirit of holiness and the power of God. And that same spirit of holiness is given to you and to me to lead to obedience of faith. But, but you have to understand, that's what his purpose is in and for your life. So the gospel is about God. It tells us about mankind. It, it tells us all that's gone on and going on. And he tells us what our response must be. It must be a response to his call by repentance, turning from sin. Doesn't mean we'll never sin again, but it means we make an active, volitional choice based on his grace being given to us, his call by his Holy Spirit, that I repent, I turn from my sin, and I place my faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. So it's repentance and faith. Not works, gifts. We, we pray, God, grant them the repentance. God, grant them faith. God, do your work in their life that they might believe. We pray that for those we love. We pray that for our neighbors. We pray that for those we're in church with. Because we desire earnestly to see his spirit work as only his spirit can listen this gospel is an explosive power and it's truth completely by his power and by his grace and I I, I just ask you this morning have you come to to him on the basis of his gospel. We don't come to God on our own terms. Understand that. We don't set the terms. He is God. He sets the terms. 
Have you come to him on the basis of who he is? On the basis of what he's shown us and promised beforehand in Christ through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures? Have you come to him for the obedience of faith? Let's pray together. risen Savior, we ask first of all, Lord, that you would fulfill your purpose in the lives of every person in this building this morning. Lord, fulfill your purpose of changed hearts, union with Christ, no dead religion, only alive in Christ Jesus. Lord, first of all, we ask you to fulfill that mission, that purpose in our lives. And then, Lord, we ask you to fulfill the mission of your church, both across the world and at Grace Baptist. We ask you, Father, to speed the gospel to new territory geographically and sociologically. Lord, break down geographical barriers and send us from this building, from this room right now, to to parts of the world we never thought we would go with the sole purpose of, of sharing the gospel. But Lord, taking a new territory here in Somerset with us sociologically, help us take it to that person that's not like us. Either by race or color or Our religion, help us take the gospel to them, Lord, right here, right now. Do that through us as your servants. We long, O Lord, to lay at your feet the gift of the obedience of faith of the nations and of Somerset. Deliver us, Lord, from cultural relativism and cultural Christianity, which trivializes your gospel as the religion of one particular human tradition only, and discourages bold missionary enterprise, both in Somerset and around the world. Father, give us clarity of doctrinal vision, your truth, and the courage of moral convictions to march forward through the opposition to solid accomplishment, for your gospel is the truth. And Lord, you you made it clear through the prophet Isaiah that your word goes forth and it accomplishes what you intend for it to accomplish. Father, the problem is sometimes we're not sending your word forth. We're not taking your word forth. Lord, help us as, as a body of believers at grace to take your word, which will accomplish what it desires, to Somerset, Kentucky. Lord, as you move by your Spirit, 
from nation to nation, from city to city, from church to church, Lord, do not pass us by. Oh, dear Lord, draw near to us. Destroy our complacency. Individually and corporately as a body. Destroy our complacency. And let us, Lord, trust in you and you alone. Because it's in your holy name and for your glory that we pray. Amen.